Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Beatriz Gutierrez, who had planned for a home birth, but due to developing preeclampsia in her 36th week of pregnancy, ended up having to have a hospital birth, but on her terms, at her pace, and with a birth team that supported her fully. Hello, Beatriz. Welcome to the show. This is Catalea. <laughs> Joining me. Yes. Catalea. I know we're always here for additional co-hosts. So welcome. Yes. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. Um, so I'm 28. I live in Portland, Oregon. And um, I come from a pretty big family. A lot of my family is here in Oregon. Um, I have four other siblings and lots of aunts and uncles uh, in the area. So I have a really big family. Um, I live with my husband, Raymel, who's um, Cuban. Both my parents are Mexican um, and his family's here. And we, um, yeah, this is our little family. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Um, Yeah, so um, I think it was, it started out pretty intense because I didn't expect to get pregnant so quickly. Oh. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll try. And boom, like a month later, it's happening. Um, I feel like I I spent a lot of time trying not to get pregnant throughout my life. <laughs> that I think I spent like the full three months being like, it's okay. Like this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. Um, it was really silly. Um, but, um, oh, one thing I didn't mention is I was training to be a doula before COVID. And so I spent kind of the last couple years learning more and reading about it. And I had assisted my sister's birth at a hospital. Um, and I kind of already knew I wanted a home birth. I wanted to try it. It, like, is something I was interested in doing. Um so pregnancy was pretty, um, in the beginning, I had a lot of nausea, pretty regular. Um, I quickly, like, went to find a midwife, but uh, my insurance didn't cover, like, a home birth midwife. So I'm like, oh, man, I don't think, I think I'm going to let that go. So I let it go for maybe a month or two, and I just couldn't. I, like, started to go see a midwife at the hospital. And it didn't, it didn't feel right. Like I didn't feel taken care of. The appointments were like 15 to 30 minutes over video. Um, so I told my husband, I was like, I can't, I can't let it go. We're going to have to find a way. And he was like, we'll find a way. Um, let's get a midwife. Um, so we found a really great midwife here in Portland. Um, Rosemary, Rosemary Loperena. She's awesome. Um, and Puerto Rican. And so she speaks Spanish and, my husband's um, monolingual Spanish speaker. So it was really important for me that he can participate. Just because of COVID, I knew that he was going to have to be my main support. And if he need, if he was going to participate, it needed to be in a language that he understood. Um, so for me, it was really great finding her. Um, and then, uh, so everything was good. By the second trimester, I started to get really depressed. 
it was hard. I remember being like, this doesn't, um, this doesn't feel right. And I have like, I see a therapist for depression regularly. So I could tell when I'm like pretty in tune, like this feels a little bit more than usual. Um, at first it was just, I thought it was just the pregnancy. Um, but then we ended up, my midwife wanted to get my levels checked, like my iron and the blood, everything that she needed to know to feel um, prepared for a home birth. And we find out that I'm super anemic. I had to get like a like intravenous iron, um, an iron infusion. And, and like as soon as I upped my dose of iron and got the infusion, it just like, like the change, like I was still, you know, it was still hard and I was still pregnant and the hormones are still crazy, but it was just a different level. Um, it was a relief to know that like, there was something that I like, I could tell. Um, and that's kind of like, that's also when I started to notice like a, um, a difference in between like in the care at the hospital. Because I remember asking my midwife, my hospital midwife, like, oh, you know, my midwife, wants these tests, can we run them? She's like, oh, those aren't really necessary. And I'm like, well, I'm, I want them. <laughs> um, and she did, she was like, all right, so so we did them. So that was kind of like the first thing, like indicator. And I remember telling my home birth midwife, like, I just didn't like it. I didn't like talking to her, it didn't help. She kept asking me about birth control. And I was like, I'm in month four, like, why are we talking about this right now? Every single time we talk. Um, I, I did have a lot of friend support, so I didn't, I didn't get a doula, and I remember being like, oh, I need a doula, and I tried to find one, it just, I couldn't find someone that fit, so I tried, I really tried to doula myself <laughs> as much as I could, <laughs> I, uh, I created, like, this, this spreadsheet, and, like, mapped out the weeks, and I was like, these are the things I need to be doing, these are the topics that I need to talk, like, I need to spend, like, weekly topics for my husband to talk about. We did, like, a calendar reminders for him to be, like, we're going to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about postpartum. We're going to talk about um, different things that could come up with becoming your parents. And um, I downloaded, like, what to expect when expecting in Spanish for him to listen to. I think he only made it through, like, the first 30 minutes. That's why. <laughs> um so I did like a lot of preparation in that sense um I had a friend who offered to be like a a yoga instructor for me but she was more of a doula I would like get on the yoga ball and we would talk and I'm like oh that's our time we didn't do any yoga oh well <laughs> um we did do like some breathing techniques and every now and then we would do some yoga but she was really kind of my doula and my sister um, would check up on me and make sure I was walking. And it felt like a lot to do. Pregnancy is just like an endless checklist, like eat right, check. Oh God, I got to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> like, like you're not going to eat every two hours. I had major heartburn. It was horrible. I was drinking like apple cider vinegar, um, like diluted apple cider vinegar all day to just like keep it down. I had to cut out citrus because it was like upsetting my stomach. And that was my whole like 
Um, I'm Mexican. We eat a lot of tomatoes and lime. Like citrus is the base of our food. So that was really hard and trying to find like snacks. I don't know. The food thing was very challenging for me. Um, so the pregnancy overall went well. I tried to walk. Um, we walked to the grocery store, and that kept me encouraged to like, I'm gonna go get some snacks. Um, but it was it was a isolating. Uh, I'm a very social person. So COVID was hard. I guess I, I like I knew it was gonna happen because I had chosen to have a baby during COVID. Um, but it was it was still hard and. Hard in, in the sense, like, I, I want to show it off, but also I liked being home and I could work from home, make my meals, continue working. Um, yeah. And that was that was up until I got the chance, yeah. Then things just kind of unraveled. And you talk about the food changes. That's a common issue for a lot of people that are pregnant. It's not just... Um... Not necessarily just because they weren't healthy eaters before or something. It's just the shifts in what you can eat <laughs> and what you can tolerate, what you should be eating and trying to incorporate that. And I do understand it is an, just an endless checklist of things. And and we want to um, process that sometimes just with someone else, like you said, being isolated and feeling like, you know, having somebody to talk to and it's end up being your yoga instructor. And sometimes it is like that, like... Hey, I really just need to talk to another human being, right? Yeah, and not feeling sometimes I like didn't want to take up too much space talking about being pregnant. So having a space where people are like, Oh yeah, 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 tell me, tell me all the things. I'm like, I'm ready to tell anyone that wants to know. That's so true. Um and it also makes me think about, you know, um, we do talk a lot about um postpartum mental health. But also thinking about um, prenatal mental health and or you know being in that time period and what can come up um, during that time as well and especially um, thinking about people who were expanding their families during this COVID um, time frame how isolating it has has been um, when you're like I just need to share I need to <laughs> even I just want someone to look at like you know my belly or like just you know to be able to be in this experience. Um, with people, um, whatever that might look like. Uh, yeah. So you did a lot of prep work um, <laughs> and very intentional about that. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, once you hit 36 weeks, what that prep looked like before the birth. Yeah. Um, I was I was doing a lot of like, visualizing I had realized like I did a lot of visualizing I'm like oh like I like this part of the couch like I think I want to like labor here um you know we had talked with my husband about like once I start getting into labor I need you to clean it and like change the sheets and put like the you know the the logistical stuff just like making sure everything's clean and ready for us and um I had put like affirmations on sticky notes around my room and in my bathroom to sharing it's like I wanted to be a gentle birth I wanted to like I I was in a place that I felt safe those kind of things that I was like capable me and baby were gonna do it um I had I did um some of like the oh gosh I don't know I think it was hypnobirthing I like 
listen to some of the um, those sessions, but I would fall asleep really quickly. <laughs> um, so I did some of that. I did the childbirth education classes. Um, I talked to my sister about like what her techniques were. About, she did. Um, I did watch her have an unmedicated birth, so I had kind of an idea of what to expect. Um, and that, that was that was how I was preparing for for home birth. And then when I developed preeclampsia, it was just like just like how to how to move all that into this different space. Um, and that was very strange, also because. Um, I was getting like my home birth midwife was getting high blood pressure readings, um, but at the hospital, um, I went. In, I ended up going into the hospital. My midwife was like, "Oh, you need to go in and tell me you get your high high blood pressure. Like, I can't offer you a home birth anymore." And um, they weren't getting the high blood pressure readings, which was weird. Um, they did it once and. Like, luckily, I had taken, they had given me a home blood pressure checker. Um, and I took it with me to show them, like, pressure that I had been getting. Um, and they're like, oh, that's weird. Maybe you're not doing it right. I was like, maybe I'm not, but, like, this is it. So they took my blood pressure with my machine there that same day. So they took one, and it was regular. Then they took one with my machine. And then they took it again with their machine. And like the last two were high. The first wasn't. Um, so there was this whole thing about like, is my blood pressure high? Is it not? Um, I had that really weird instance where it wasn't, wasn't before they decided that I did have preeclampsia. Um, I need to do the protein test. Um, and there was some protein um, in my urine to kind of confirm it. So tell us what happened from there. Tell us about mm -hmm. your birth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by then, so they got the second reading and it was high and they're like, okay, like, well, we're going to have to schedule you for an induction. And my, like my home birth midwife had told me like, I can't offer you a home birth anymore. But like, I was just like, it's fine. Like we're going to have one anyway. Like, I didn't sit in because <laughs> like, I'm going to go to the hospital. They're going to take my blood pressure. It's going to be fine. I'm just going to have one anyways. I was in total denial. Um, and then and then she told me, like my um, hospital like, told me that they were going to schedule me for an induction. It was hard. It was very heartbreaking to hear that, like, all this planning, everything, like, wanted. Or, I think it was all, like, the safety of my space just kind of taken away. <laughs> it was hard. So they scheduled me for the next day for two days. It wasn't even right away. I think I had a couple of days um, to go in. And um, the next day, my like me and my husband went. I called in. I was like, I'm not going to work anymore. It was no, it wasn't. It was even longer than that because I was at 36 weeks still, and they wanted me at 37 days. So I think I had like three or four days. Um, before I hit 37 um, week mark, where they were gonna, they were like, once you're 37, we're gonna do C. Um, we went to get a pedicure. We got like this like extravagant pedicure. We went to get dinner. Mm -hmm. um, the night before, we went for the induction. Um, 
And then I, I remember like not wanting to. I told my homework and wife, I was like, what if I don't go? Like, I'm just not gonna go. Um, I just need a couple more days. Um, and she's a professional, so she was like, I don't recommend that. <laughs> That's unsafe. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, but it really, like, I really, the, I, I wanted just like a couple more days. Um, and I went in and we went along with the process. I got the miso, um, got the bulb, um, and nothing. Like, I wasn't feeling anything. I put on Pitocin. I was like, I was on Pitocin at like its max and taking naps. Um, like, just kind of napping through through it and wasn't really feeling anything. Um, and I think I had only dilated like two or three. It was very slow. And then they started talking about breaking my water. Um, and thankfully, like my home birth mid, my home birth midwife accompanied me to the hospital was there for those conversations. Um, and she's like, that's like, can you, because they were saying that because I had been on Pitocin for so long, I was reaching like my max amount. So I think it, they said it was like 36 hours, 36 or 48 hours, but I had already been on Pitocin for like a day. And they're like, oh, by the time you like, we break your water and you like deliver, like you would have already kind of reached dangerous, like a danger zone of having been on Pitocin for so long. Um, and my midwife suggested just like, well, why don't we just turn it off for a little bit? Like it's not working, like just turn it off. And um, then my LND nurse as well, she was just like, they, they, they might just need, you know, you could ask for a break. And they were having these conversations with me when the midwife wasn't in the room. Because there was, they definitely felt like a, you know, a territorial thing, like not wanting to, to seem like they were suggesting something. I don't know. There was some, felt like some politics going on. Um. So they were telling, they were like suggesting those things to me, like, oh, ask her this or ask her that and um, suggest this and see what she says. And I did. So she came back and I was like, what if, you know, what if you pause it? Can we take a break? Is there anything else? Like, what else can we do besides break my water? Um, and she's like, no, nope. like, it doesn't matter. Like, if we pause it or take a break, like you, like the whole amount, it still counts. So it doesn't really matter. And I was like, that's weird, because, like, that's not what these, like, other professionals in the room just told me. Um, I didn't say anything. I was just like, okay. Um, what, it, like, there's nothing else. She's like, no, there's nothing else. And um, I ended up, I think, I think I, like, told her, this, like, well, like, I'm thinking of leaving then. Like, I don't think this is working. Um, can I come back? And she was like, well, like, you know, you have preeclampsia, so it's dangerous for you to leave. Um, you will be putting your baby at risk and you and your baby at risk. And I was like, yeah, I understand. Um, so she went, she went to go look for the doctor. Um, so they could talk to me though, because she was an OBGYN. And, um, at that point, I just, I think we had like had so many, we had been going back and forth. I've been going back and forth for, with her for so long. Like, asking like very specific questions, trying to figure out like where my, the baby was positioned, if it was even safe to do that. Um, and, and that was, 
that was nice. Like, and that was one, one of the moments that midwife spoke Spanish. So those were one of the moments, like my husband was like, was listening and he was kind of like peering in. I remember he like, at one point he stood up, he would like sit down, he stood up and like stood next to me and like asked her a question. And it was crazy to, to feel kind of the change in the room for him to stand up and stand next to me. Like, like we're a team and we're both kind of like figuring out how to protect my waters. <laughs> it was like, definitely felt like that. And, um, and it, it just, it wasn't going anywhere with her. Um, and by the time she left, I remember asking my LND nurse, like, like, what if, what if I asked you to just turn off the Pitocin? Like, well, what would happen? Or, you know, what happens? She's like, well, I have to turn it off or you can sue me for assault and battery. And, and like, and it, you know, that really like set in just like, she was telling me that like, I have the power. Um, and I felt like like I knew going in, but I was getting so tired. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, yeah, like this is, they can't do whatever they want to me. Like, no. Um, and I was like, okay, turn it off. <laughs> and it felt so good to be like, turn it off. I don't want it. Like, why am I still on it? I'm like, they said I'm getting to dangerous levels. And I'm sitting here like for 15 minutes waiting for a doctor to come in and still getting this Pitocin, not really feeling, I'm not feeling anything. Like I could have gone to sleep. I wasn't feeling anything. Um, so I turned it off while she was gone. <laughs> she came back with the doctor and I was already off. Um, I kind of already decided. Um, so I, I got off, the doctor goes through the motions with me again. And it's like, well, this is like, you know, these are the risks that you're taking. Um, I decide assign like an AMA, it's like leaving or like against medical advice, um, and that was hard because like on the on the paper it reads you know like I could die, the baby could die, you know, she could get hurt, I could get hurt. It was hard. It was hard to sign, but I I really didn't feel like I was gonna have a baby in that moment, like. It wasn't progressing, and I knew the the only option that I was going towards, like I could see myself going towards the C-section, just like speeding full force towards it. And I don't know. I had heard before from like doulas that were like, "Well, you know," I had talked to a couple doulas, and I had told them like I was gonna have an induction, and they were like, "Well, you know, the most the most important thing is that your baby's delivered safe, and that's the most important thing." And now, I don't know, it didn't ring true to me. I was just like, I I understand that it's important that she's here safe, but I also feel like the experience is also important to me. And the way she comes is important. I don't know, it didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. I didn't have anything else. Um, so the, I went home um, that evening I went home for a couple days and in those days I had I had a I got called actually by my hospital midwife and that was the worst call she like called and was like hey I'm calling it was crazy because I was on like a video chat with my my therapist um when she called and I asked my therapist just to like stay on so she can you know 
be emotionally like support while I was on this call with this midwife. And she ended up like telling me that like I was pretending I didn't have preeclampsia and was like, well, like I'm calling to support you. And I was like, well, what can you do? Like, what can you actually do for me besides break my waters? Like, that's where we were going. And I didn't get offered any other support or any other options. So what could you have? What can you offer me? She's like, this feels like a trap. Um, I was like, I, I don't understand how this feels like a trap. Like, I'm actually asking you for what you said you wanted to give me. And these were like, this was the conversation that I was having with like a majority of the people that I encountered at my first day. I was just like, well, like, how can, how can you help me? Because <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're providing me any options. Um, and then she's like, well, you know, keep in the back of your mind that, you know, this is dangerous. I'm like, you know, these are the, these are the risks. And I was like, it's, it's not in the back of my mind. It's at the very front, circling round and round and round and round. Like, it's not something like I, I, like I just took my life, my baby's life into my hands. And like, how can you say that I'm taking that lightly? Um, it was very hard to have that conversation with her. And I was like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Doesn't seem like you're very helpful. And that was, that was, that happened like the day I got back. And I made, I made a plan with my home birth midwife, like, okay, these are like, what are the signs, all the things that we're tracking, um, I was like, keeping in mind my blood pressure, her heart rate, like how much water I had, like, I, we were going into detail, just like every little change we were going to track, because I had, I was like, um, going in for a non-stress test every day while I was out, it was just a couple of days, um, it was just two more days. I was like, I, it was just those two days that I needed. Um, and after those two days, my heart, my blood pressure um, went up. So I, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to go back. So it was just a couple days. I went back um, and we did it, did it again. Um, we did the, the bulb and I went in, I did the bulb, I did the walking, the pitocin. Um, and then they wanted to break my water again. <laughs> we got back into that situation. Because again, I wasn't moving very, I wasn't progressing very quickly. Um, I remember I was talking to her and my like my midwife, my home birth midwife had given me kind of like, oh, like for it to be safe for them to break your water, like you have to be this, like this far dilated, um, this much like effaced and like what station. Um, I don't remember the numbers, but like I had it written down. I was like looking at them and I was like wanting, wanting, making sure that the midwife that was going to check me, that we were on the same page of like when it was going to be appropriate for that, when it was safe. <clears throat> and um, so we're talking and I, and, um, and she wants to check me. And I'm like, all right, you can check me. Um, and then we had this conversation for like five or 10 minutes. And at the end, she's like, okay, so like, is it okay if while I'm in there, um, just break your water if I see that it's ready? I'm just like, no, it's not okay. Like, I just talked to you that I want you to like talk to me about what you see. And then like, and then I will consent. Like, you're, no, you cannot just go in there and do that if like, depending on what you see. No. And I like, I had noticed the nurse the LND nurse was like doing something 
And then like, I realized that she was setting up for her to break my water. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, no. Um, I ended up telling her like, actually, I don't want her to check me. I was like, I don't, I'm going to wait for the next one. Actually, I was like, I'm going to wait. It was eight o'clock. And I was like, I know their shift changes at 10. And they had already been telling me like, when like different nurses, different midwives would check me, they'd be like, oh, you're at one, you're at two, you're at two and a half. And it just, it wasn't consistent. And it depended on like, I know they said they depend on the person's hand and they're like, the size and how they measure. I was like, you know what? Let me just wait for the next midwife so that she checks me and then I make a decision with her because she's going to be on for the next, for a majority of my labor. So let's just not. And that was something that was really a grade. I, my, my home birth midwife has suggested that I ask for like an hour to be like, oh, like in between procedures, oh, can I have an hour? Can you wait? Like I'm going to nap, I'm going to eat, and then we can go on to the next step. Just kind of like, elongating my time or building that time um and like I had done that before and it felt like one of those moments where I was like you know what I just need time and like that was really helpful for me um getting through that so we did and that midwife was I was like no way I'm breaking your waters like your baby's way too high like oh this is dangerous you're not ready so it felt great to like I think she was one of the only midwives that I felt like, hi, like you see me, like she came in and introduced herself and was like, you know, this is your birth. Like I want to help you have your birth the way you want to. And I feel like the only one that ever said that to me. And I was just like, oh God, like, that was great. And we ended up going through the night, still on Pitocin, trying to, trying to go into labor for freaking forever. Um, and by noon the next day, I um, I think I had dilated enough and breaking my waters was up again. I was like, all right, I think I think this is the end for it. Like this is I've, I've pushed this moment as long as I can. And by then, I had called my sister to be there. Um, I'm really close with her, so she was there. My husband was there. Um, I had um, I had nitrous while they were like doing all, most of my checks, which is really helpful and something I didn't realize I could do. Um, but the, the cervical checks are really challenging for me. Um, and nitrous helped just like took the edge off. I was like, um, so yeah, I had, they broke my water and that was hard. I don't know if it's because I had fought so hard to like hold on to them as much as possible but it doesn't feel right. Like, I don't know. I don't know if other people experienced that. Like when, when it was happening, it didn't, I didn't feel okay. It definitely feels like I think about it and I'm like, I think it's gonna be one of those things that we look back on and it's like, I don't think this is okay to do to women. Because I, like, yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel right. Like, I don't know, it's cause I like, put so much effort into protecting them and as long as possible and wanting my labor to progress uh, on its own. <sighs> once once that happened, like I was I was having some contractions and I was like, oh yeah, that's painful. But holy like, oh my God. I was just not ready for 
the crashing like for me it felt like her head just like crashed onto my cervix and I was just like oh I could not um I could not I, I ended up asking for an epidural so I was like I'm not doing this no <laughs> um, uh so in retrospect I'm just like I'm not sure if I would have been okay with a home birth because I definitely asked for that epidural fast um my sister was like filling them in the tub to like get it ready for me I was like no, no, no I'm I'm going straight to it <laughs> um I did I didn't I I don't know some people say they don't feel anything I still felt a lot of pressure and some pain so I had stayed pretty focused um even while in that epidural I think that was around noon and I was like hanging out waiting till about four um four or five when um, they said I was fully dilated um while yeah well it was it was I think like all all the things that I had planned and all the things I didn't have planned by the time they told me like uh by the time I was like on the epidural and my sister was reading she was reading stories to me um, to kind of like distract me and make the time pass I remember telling her that like it didn't matter if they cut me open anymore. And that was really hard because, like, I have fought so hard. And I really did feel like that. Like, I don't really care anymore. Oh. But we did fine. We ended up progressing fine. And my husband ended up going, he was so on it. Like, I would just, I would just shift. Be like, what you need? Let me get you this. You, you looking for your water? <laughs> he was so on top of everything. By that, by the time my sister got there, he was exhausted. <laughs> so he went home, took take a nap, and shower. Well, I was um, kind of like we were waiting for labor for for me to dilate. So and he arrived. Like they were like, okay, you're like fully dilated. Um, and I was like, where's my husband? <laughs> like, Laura, call him. He's not here. I told him to make it fast. And it was like four hours. He's not here yet. Um, <laughs> so she calls him. And he's like, oh, he's like parking. He's, he's like coming. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a team effort. <laughs> I'm not about to do this by myself. Um, so I pushed. And by the time I got to that, I really felt like, I was going to do it my way. I was like, yeah, like, um, I could still feel my legs. So like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have enough epidural, I guess, to like not be able to move. So, um, I did get on all fours and, um, was kind of spent a lot of time pushing that way. Um, and I had my, like my husband in the back doing like counter pressure. Um, and my sister was like, Holding my hand and giving me water and juice, and <clears throat> after a while, I started falling asleep in between contractions. Um, I was just like, just gonna rest. Um, and I would talk to her, and just you know, like it was still, it was still felt like we had music on. Still felt, it felt more like, like I was gonna do this. And, um. I would tell her to come, to come to me, and um, we're gonna do it. And by the time 
she was crowning, they put it, they gave me a mirror and I really liked that. I like to see her and they asked her if I wanted to touch, if I wanted to touch her and, and I did and I just started crying and like my body and I have, I have a video, thankfully my sister took video. Um, I was like crying and like my body was kind of like tensing up. So I was like pushing her out while I was crying. Um, I just felt like, well, exactly what I wanted. Like I, I'm, I'm a big crier, so I just cry for everything and to, to have to feel like that, like the, the power of my emotion was just kind of like moving her, like bringing her. Yeah, she she came out. I like squealed. Like I don't. I'm not a big squealer. I'm, I'm pretty like chill person. I don't get like excited where I yell, but I screamed when I saw her. I was just like so enchanted. Um, she was all covered. She was like all cheesy. Yeah, that was my birth. It felt. It was wonderful. Like that that's what I fought for is to be able to have a vaginal birth and do you remember how they actually were managing your blood pressure through your labor? Um, like what treatment it was it was fine. Like my blood pressure throughout my labor was normal. Like they didn't even have to give me any medication. They just checked my um my blood pressure every like thirty minutes or something like that at pretty consistent intervals um but it was never high it just seems like you were rushed right yeah. you talk about um protecting your bag of waters like that was your pain management that was your part of your support and that that was something they were pushing so hard to take away from you um, and not to mention what was actually inside that bag of waters, which is your daughter. So I think that the disconnect between like this membranes that are surrounding your child and protecting you and your child and helping you manage your labor, um, your child was in there. I think that that when you do a procedure so frequently that it, you take away some of the humanity um, of what's going on, like you're breaking the seal. Yeah. I feel like it's very similar to like episiotomies. Like, like, why do we do that? Like, why, why? It's like a part of my body. Like, why are you ripping it open? You trusted yourself though. I think there were definitely some moments where you were like, am I making the right call? But it, it something that you even brought up that caused a huge shift was in that nurse was like, you can tell me to turn it off. And if I don't turn it off, this is how you can protect yourself. And in that moment, I think you were like, damn right. Turn it <laughs> off. <laughs> right. I know a lot of times nurses get like the bad end of the stick, right? Because they're just pushing someone else's orders and that's their job. And it's mm -hmm. really hard for them to try to go over that without getting in trouble or losing their jobs, getting some type of, you know, action against them at work, um, on, within the pecking order uh, in the hierarchy at hospitals and and but they get to be the bad guy that comes in and tells you and does all the things right and so <laughs> it makes it harder for them to do their job but I'm thankful that she she said it right I mean your midwife knew it um, but that she said it herself and let you know like 
you still hold all the strings. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was lucky. I, I was lucky. I'm appreciative of just like I did have multiple Latina like LND nurses, and I was always like, "Well, do you speak Spanish?" <laughs> like, I need like I would not let them do any procedure on me without interpretation. Um, even though I speak. I speak English and Spanish fluently. I was just like, I don't, like, I'm not going to, I think that also happens where they, like, make you, they were like, well, can you translate? I was like, I'm not going to translate for myself. Like, there's people here. You can find someone. Well, that's part of your care, right? That's what you need for your care, what you need for your your birth team, your partner, um, is for that to be available. Um, right. So he had a, 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 full, a full interpretation of what was going on, too, and not you trying to work on, on, on both of your behalf at the same time where you're in labor. Like, that's not even fair um, to interpret for him. And then that you, even though you speak English and you're fluent in both, sometimes it's the native tongue, too, that's things are, are easily more, you know, digested. Like, okay, what is actually going on? And, and give it to me in the correct terminology. I don't, I don't want someone to break it down into broken English or any kind of other thing. Like, give it to me clear, right? Yeah. One thing about your journey that I um, think will be really helpful for um, our community of listeners is just thinking, you really laying out, you know, when the midwife called, and was like, you know, keep in the back of your mind um, these, the, um, what could be possible, right? Of you t- taking your care kind of in your own hands. And I'm doing air quotes. Um, but you being like, no, that's at the forefront. That is, that is what all of this is about. Me making sure me and my baby, um, this birth makes sense for us. Um, and I think that's important for care providers to hear is that, um, you know, when people come into birthing spaces and are asking for certain things are, um, requiring them to give complete informed consent or, um, thinking about their care in a certain way, it's because yes, we are well aware of all of those things. And we know ourselves, we know our bodies, we're trusting this birth process. And that's why we're asking to do this. You didn't go home and just not monitor yourself. You went home. You were monitoring things. You talked with your birth team. You were going in for non-stress tests. Like you were doing all those things to make sure that you got the time you needed, but also were still taking care of yourself. And that was definitely not something you took lightly. Um, And so I just think that's powerful for our community of listeners who may be going through the process themselves to hear that, but also for care providers, a reminder, right? this is for us. <laughs> I'm doing this because of all of those things. So, yeah. yeah like when, how, how, at what point would my health and the safety of my baby would be at the back of my mind? Like, I just, no. <laughs> um, that's everything. And I, w- I was like researching, I was reading like full on research papers about preeclampsia and like, the different um, processes people were doing of like either like letting people with high like blood pressure, you know, get go longer and like what were the risks? I was like, I'm not sure if I understood the papers, but I was trying to read them because <laughs> I it was like I don't know, no one's giving me information, and it feels like 
a really racist system that like people don't know that why preeclampsia happens or what to do because they're like oh yeah the, you know the best thing to do is deliver but it still doesn't cure your preeclampsia so you're still at risk and it's just like then, then what do you know i'm so frustrated they don't know that why why or how like who's doing the research on this please get on it <laughs> So after having this challenging labor, how are things for you in the postpartum and even now in postpartum? Postpartum, I think I set myself up pretty well, like the best way I could. It was still hard. It was, it was hard. Um, they, we left the hospital with an undiagnosed tongue tie. So um, she wasn't latching. Um but because my home birth midwife does a check the day I left the hospital, she came to see me um, and we were having a hard time. She was like latching and then unlatching. Um, and she right away called a lactation consultant that she had. I was like, I have someone that I know that's great. Let me call her and see if she can come see you today. And they did that came the same day so like on day two the lactation consultant came over to my house at like five stayed until i don't know i want to say like eight or nine trying to like work with me and the baby figuring out what was going on got a tongue tie like was just like yeah you definitely have like a tongue tie i think breastfeeding being hard made postpartum really hard we, it was, it was, we were lucky to get it like dealt with right away. Um, I think within the week, week and a half, um, we had it cut and, but it was hard cause she, she wasn't eating right. She was losing a lot of weight. So we were in the, um, there, she lost a lot of weight. So they were asking us to come in like every day, um, it was hard to rest because we were like going back to the clinic, if not for her to get her weight checked, um, for me and my blood pressure, because my blood pressure was high. Um, after I had the baby, the breastfeeding and by like, she, she just wasn't latching. I think we were a month in and wasn't latching. We were doing, I was pumping, um, and we were giving her the bottle. I, I think the first, the first two days I massaged like, hand expressed, I want to say for like a day and a half, every two hours. And they were like, those, those days, like it's a drop. Oh God. I was just like, it's so much work for just like this teeny tiny bit of milk. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I worked for that milk. I worked and my, like, my husband was there and he fed her and changed her and took care of her. And like my job was to massage my breasts and get that milk going. Um, so we worked really good as like a team of like him taking care of her. And I would just wash, like take care of the breastfeeding things, um, wash the bottles and, and express. And I have like, um, I don't know what it is and I'm not sure if other people experience it but I get like nauseous or like, not, like I feel like throwing up when I breastfeed or um, when I pump. So it was hard. It, it's a little less often now, but it was like almost every time 
when I started. Now it's maybe like once, once or twice a day, sometimes every other day. <clears throat> but we did get her breastfeeding. Um, it was a lot of lactation consultant time. She would come over and spend hours trying to like figure out how to latch her. We went to see a chiropractor for her. Um, and I was ready to give up. At that point, I was like, seeing, I got an additional therapist that worked um, on the, like, the maternity. It was, it was taking a toll on my mental health, and I was just like, I'm not sure if it's worth it. And I was about ready to give up. Um, when I had a, a doula, I think she, yeah, she's a doula. She's a Latina, um, and in my, in my culture, we have a tradition of wrapping um postpartum and she gave she like she gave like a me a massage and wrapped me in, in the scarves <clears throat> and she's like oh like do you want a breastfeeder and I was like uh, you know I'm giving up it was like the the day before I was like you know what we're not doing it anymore I'm just gonna give her the bottle she was like well you have a lot of milk like what did, what did you try and I was like sure I'll try but we've been like trying for months and a half and it's just not <clears throat> hasn't been working. So I tried and she looks at me. She's like, you're doing fine. Like she's drinking. Like it looks perfect. What are you talking about? Like, why are you giving up? I was like, well, it wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't before. I don't know what's changed. Um, and that was the day before we moved. So we had to move apartments. And I think there was like something in having moved that really changed. I don't know, like the new change of space feeling like this new confidence with this doula being able to say like you're doing great but we got it going um and after that I like after moving it was like a month and a half I think that I felt really down but once I moved to this new spot and have being able to breastfeed it felt a, a lot of it lift I did have a lot of help my friends came um I had a friend that came every other week to spend the day just kind of like so I wasn't alone my sister would come once a week. I had a friend that came every week. And friends kind of like sending me DoorDash um, food. It's very cared for. Now it's it's still a lot. Postpartum is a lot. <laughs> um, I ended up quitting my job. I went back full time um, when she was three months. And after uh, three months working full time, I was like, I, I can't. Like, I was still trying to breastfeed her because I was working from home. It was so much. And I just feel like a different person with different priorities. But also trying, yeah, like different priorities. But I still want to have myself as a priority. And I I don't really know how to do that. So I quit my job to figure it out. Postpartum is forever. <laughs> it's an ongoing journey. And you don't have to have anything solved or um the answers or anything right at this moment everything comes at some point um and then things change again and you reshift but it is a an ongoing journey um i think like we tell our our the families we work with like pregnancy is its own journey birth is its own journey Nursing our children is its own journey. Um, feeding them however we decide. Just being a parent in general. Like you're making 
important decisions on a daily basis to ensure that your family feels loved and taken care of while also yourself. Um, And you change after you have kids. (laughs) So it's a, it's an ongoing journey. Um, I appreciate your transparency about, you know, um, nursing your daughter. I think um, sometimes in that conversation, um, some people don't always talk about what happens when they're nursing their kiddos. Like some people do get really nauseous. Some people will become like really angry or um, there's other feelings that might arise in that. And, and some of that can be really due to um, sometimes our history around um, our bodies. The hormones that are in play when we are nursing our kiddos play a big role in that. Um, while it is this it is this thing that our bodies and our babies are able to do. It is still something that requires practice and that neither of you have done before. <laughs> so there is grace in trying to figure all of that out. Um, but you're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> like, my sisters didn't have a problem. So it's like, I don't have to be worried about it. Like, it'll be fine. I just, I hadn't seen anyone have a problem unless there was no milk and I had tons of milk so I was like I, I had no idea it was gonna be so challenging you're on demand to someone 24 7 24 7 you are on demand and it's someone that can't tell you what's not right <laughs> right so they have they'll fuss and you're like but what <laughs> but what and learning each cry, each whine, it comes in time. And sometimes you can't even put it into words after like a month or two of parenting. You're like, oh, that's, oh, they just want such and such. And you're just doing it, right? But in the immediate, it's like, what do you want? And where's your instruction manual? <laughs> I think I need to go back and grab one from the hospital because there's something missing. They don't give it out. It's on the job training. On the fly. That's it. Uh, it was so funny. We had we had some interesting times with my husband, like in the sleep deprivation. I remember one time we were like eating and it was like day three or four or something. And I remember hearing him like get up from the table and I hear he's like dragging something. And he like decided not to put on his shoe that was under the table with him. So he just gets up with one shoe to get something. And I'm just like, why didn't you put on your shoe? It's right there. It's just, we were trying to communicate. And he's like, oh, remember the food that we got? The food, the food. We had gotten food. Uh, he's like, the food that you got from McDonald's. I'm like, sir, McDonald's is in terrible food. And it was just like, and, and I like, he, I speak English and Spanish. So sometimes like, neither works when I'm tired so communication was it was funny and it was hard and it does silly things and we we tried to like stay light about it it's like I know you're tired I'm tired I can't understand you let's just let's just roll with that because I don't think talking is a good idea it is a huge transition for everyone um and those first first couple of weeks can feel the heaviest. Um, 
sometimes even longer. I'm generalizing. So please, if your journey takes a bit longer, no worries. But I'm just saying <laughs> those first couple of weeks when you're in the thick of it, like what? <laughs> um, but it is it's a it's a forever journey. So reminding yourself that you that you are allowed grace in that process um, and just taking it one day at a time. Writing the, in the same way, you know, in birth, we, we tell people you ride the waves. It's the same way you do in parenthood. Ride the waves. There will be days when you're like, oh, we got, we did that. We did that today. And then the next day you're like, how? What happened? It's <laughs> well, she's changing. I'm like, as soon as I get it, I'm like, okay, get her sleep, get her food, get her milk. We're good. And then all of a sudden I have to give her solids. And all of a sudden she's like, this other stuff comes up. And you don't like that anymore. I'm like, I thought we knew each other, but we don't. She's changing, and I don't. Every week is different. You're a different person. That we were BFFs. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Well, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Whether it's advice, um, resources, anything else from your birth, your postpartum so far, that you want to leave them with. I didn't get a doula, but I highly recommend it. <laughs> or like, if you don't, I don't know. For me, it didn't work out to find, like, just find a doula. Um, but I did kind of ask friends to play those roles and being very conscious of like, hey, I'm like asking you to step into this role. It basically means like, just listen to me, you know? Like, I just need someone to go on walks with me um, and let me talk about my pregnancy kind of like without like guilt-free of like taking up too much space. That was what I did if you anyone's like feeling reluctant to, to go that way. Um, finding people you're close with that you can share that can support you in ways that maybe because of emotional ways. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's important um, because there will be, you know, cer- certain situations where people can't technically hire a doula, right? But you can still find your people, your support system that can support you in that way. So thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Thanks for having me. Yes. To, to hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesandcolor.com. 